Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area, and with me as always are my two wonderful co-hosts. I'm Hui Chen Bu, a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in New York. And I am Anya Crittenton, a writer at Gay Star News. So over two decades ago, me and my co-hosts all fell in love with a magical series called Harry Potter. And so many of our peers did across the world. This series took the world by storm. It impacted our lives in ways that, you know, will never, will never shake. Harry Potter is imprinted on our souls at this point, basically, and it always will be. However, post the original series uh, and the seven books and the eight movies, Harry Potter has become something of a beast, but not a fantastic one. Mm -hmm. Almost like you could say it's cursed. Almost like that. Which is ironic considering that three years ago we were like, there's no curse, we're good. Yeah, How wrong we were. Yeah, we and it's were like, wrong. I feel like even we then, so I feel like even then the curse was kind of planting its seeds, but like we were still hopeful and like ready to give the franchise like a chance at continuing. And now, both original author J.K. Rowling and the larger Warner Brothers team and the larger people who kind of helm this franchise have made it clear that the evolution of Harry Potter and the Withering World is not is not needed, at least not in the way that they are doing it. Um, we have a new film franchise, Fantastic Beasts. We have random ramblings on Pottermore and tweets from J.K. Rowling about the larger Wizarding World that make zero sense, that no one asked for, that have incredibly problematic implications. And so in this episode, yeah. And so in this episode, it's pointed out in the first book, but it's like, because they've reinforced it on Pottermore, it's like, come on. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, And so this episode, we are going to be talking about kind of where the Harry Potter franchise has come, why it's become a mess, why we will always love the original series, but why we can't really love this new chapter of the franchise. Um, so why don't we start with Fantastic Beasts, the movie franchise, and then we'll move into kind of Pottermore and the larger world that J.K. Rowling has continued building uh, for whatever reason. So we all saw the first movie and we all liked it for the most part. It wasn't perfect, but we liked it. We really liked the main four. Eddie Redmayne is Newt. Um, and then the second movie happened, and I will be upfront that I have not watched it, and I refuse to. However, I have read extensively about it, so I know how terrible it is, and it only reinforces that I will never watch it. Um, what do you guys think of this film franchise and where it's going? Uh, Willoughby. They still have to make three more of these bullshits. I think that's they, everything. They, that, that's... So, Fantastic Beast One is a very good Pokemon Go for type of for Fantastic Beasts, where you're just like you're you're with Eddie Redmayne and uh, uh, Dan Fogler or Dan Fogel. Can't remember. I uh, I think it's Dan Fogler. I think you're Fogel. the two Fogel. of them, they're they're running around New York catching these beasts, and it's like a fun like what if 
what if this was just like an entire movie franchise? And then at the very end, they're like, oh, by the way, we're going to introduce uh, Grindelwald as like the main bad guy. And the the final film in this five series franchise is going to take place in 1945 at the end of World War II. It's 1925. So good luck explaining that 20 year gap. Um, and Grindelwald 2 comes out or Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald comes out. And it's I don't want, the second movie. So this is a franchise that's supposed to span 20 years. The second movie takes place nine months after the first film. They're still in the 20s. We have to get to 1945 by film five. Jude Law has to turn into Michael Gambon <laughs> by, by film five. They're going to have to do some real good aging makeup to like do all this bullshit. I, the film is boring. This film series is not as good as Harry Potter. I think it's clear. Even people, for some reason, shit on uh, the first two Harry Potter movies a lot. I think they're they're fine. What? They're perfect. And it's like film critics who are like, yeah, boring. Christopher Columbus. And I'm like, no, they're good. Just be quiet. And they're the... The first film in this franchise, you can't you can't not know about Harry Potter. You can't come into Fantastic Beasts first. I think that's it's like it's kind of like Better Call Saul. Where you're gonna have to you kind of have to know what happens in the present to go back into the past. It's sort of like uh, Pitbull's um, song from Men in Black Three. Um, <laughs> All these to, to, comparisons are you got to go forward to go back in time. And so the Fantastic Beasts two. The the one crime of one Grindelwald, because uh, he really only does like murder. That's kind of it. Um, it's not. It's boring. It's a slog. It's all expository backstory about how all these like famous bloodlines come into play and how like all these characters need like extensive, uh, you know, like either like famous famous family. They come from famous families, or they have backstories that are just like. Um, terrible, and then you also have like um, Newt Scamander and his brother have like a bad relationship because Newt can't connect to people, and Theseus is sort of just like I don't know a government stooge, and there's and he has no he has no character either. He's sort of like Percy Weasley, but without like being a dick. Say. Yeah, like he's not really a dick, but he's also like a go- he's just a government lackey. Like there's really I mean- nothing to it. Let's be real, Percy Weasley does commit treason at the end of the Harry Potter series to join his family and be on the side of good again. So Percy Weasley yeah. can stay. For, I mean, for the most Theseus, part. For the most who, part. Maybe Theseus has an arc after, you know, over the next 20 years. We'll never know because, because I don't know if I'm going to keep watching these movies. Yeah. But the like, I, I watched it only to talk about this podcast because i felt like i needed to i needed to understand the slog that was going through this movie i don't think if i if i like me personally if i just read about it i don't think i could convey the problems that this movie has in the larger scheme of harry potter but like that's just because like i'm that's just how i work um so and it's just like it's not it's not like the plot is bare bones it's it's like a thinly made movie like there's really nothing yeah, so like, like you it's just, you it, understand that it problems. has, you know, like bigger story problems and stuff, but like also for you it's just a bad movie. It's just like yeah, like some yeah. like it's not good. Like at least like I don't know, I'd say 
Order of the Phoenix might be my least favorite Harry Potter Ooh, movie. No. Oh, no. It's one Half of the Blood best Prince. movies. Okay, no, Half-Blood Prince. I was getting that confused. I was getting that confused. Half-Blood Prince is Excuse the me. worst movie. Half-Blood Prince is bad. I was getting, I was getting those two confused. Okay, good. I apologize. I was talking. I meant Half-Blood Prince. HG and I are about to, like, go up in arms for Order of the Phoenix. <laughs> it's been a long day. Is Vanilla, even though it's one thirty? No, it, I meant to say Half-Blood Prince because that's the one that's just uh, uh, smeared with green Vaseline on the camera. <laughs> where, and it's just, but the thing is, that movie still works, even though it's terrible. You know, like it still works. It's still got great characters we love. It's got kind of like a fun romance back, back thing, thingamajig. And like the... The finale with Dumbledore's death is still like it still gets me every time, because it's but but I but it's also like the sixth film of an eight film series that it can afford to be a little lax before they go into production into seven and eight, which really kind of kick everything into high gear, which I believe are the best movies in the franchise. Maybe three is is up there, but like the 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 sixth film kind of starts slow and ramps up to the part where like Dumbledore is like fighting off the demons in the cave. They, they get back and they, and like, and then he dies and it's very emotional. I cry every time, but like, like, like we've said, the, it's kind of the worst movie in the franchise. When you have this new franchise, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm ranting a lot, but I just want to, this is a, a, a subject near and dear to all of our hearts. When you have the second film in a franchise be the worst prop, like already, it's really hard unless they do like a hard reboot and do like, you know, the next movie takes place in 1939 or whatever. And they're just like, okay, we've skipped all of we skipped the great depression and now we're world war two. Like I don't know where they're going from this because like, that's what they've said is that the, the, this ends with uh, Dumbledore and Grindelwald facing off. Like that's how I believe they've said yeah. that. Like this is how so, this franchise ends. Yeah. And so I think, you know, like, there are these like bigger problems with that. Um, <clears throat> I think the pro- the main problem is that J.K. Rowling seems to have forgotten that we already know the story of Dumbledore and Grindelwald. She already told us. We know yeah. they have a fight in 1945 and that Dumbledore defeats Grindelwald. Like we know that he rose to power and he was the first like big dark wizard before Voldemort. We know this story. Mm-hmm. And she seems to think that because they're like Dumbledore's a big character in the books and everything is that this is the story we want, even though it's the one we already know. Well, the story we don't know is the one of Newt's commander and these new characters. And I was always fine with the setting of these movies and the backdrop oh, yeah. of this war, but it was fascinating to me to have a character like Newt who connects better with beasts than with people and is a pacifist while his brother works for the government and was a soldier and to have that story told, like, what is it like for a wizard who is not involved in this mega wizarding world? Mm-hmm. And what is that oh, like yeah. for him? Like, what would this franchise have looked like if it was actually about Newt and about these fantastic beasts and the backdrop was a war? And Grindelwald was just a minor character. So. Yeah. I think the thing with um, Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald, that uh, really encapsulates all the problems with uh the Wizarding World and with the Harry Potter franchise that that, it, that is currently going through is that Crimes of Grindelwald has a fundamental misunderstanding of what is so appealing 
about this franchise in the first place and like what made us fall in love with it in the first place. It um, puts a lot of stock and a lot of importance on the world building, the exposition, this like dark and grim war and what it all means. And that's something that became more prevalent in later books and later movies. But that was more fascinating for us because it's how this this series grew with us. And um, it's not actually what is what draws us in the first place. I wrote um, a piece about this on SlashFilm.com. We'll probably link this in our uh, posts uh, going up with this episode. But I talked about how um, the Wizarding World as it is right now is kind of a franchise in transition. It doesn't really know what it, how to, it, what its place is in the world now. And in doing so, it's leaning into these elements that it thinks was more, what made it successful and is what kind of Hollywood kind of caught on with, which is like grim, dark, YA stuff. But um, that's not at all the case. And um, so it's interesting too. I want to talk about how a Harry Potter franchise is something that is a is a kind of a unique franchise in that it after the initial series ended it kept going and we've seen this is kind of rare with a lot of um novels and a lot of like uh book franchises uh but uh now jk rowling is kind of on the train of wanting to keep milking that cow even though i feel like i remember when i read the epilogue for harry potter and the deathly hollows that it felt like that was her saying goodbye to the series but then she was like, "Nope, I'm not. I'm back." And I feel well, that's like... the that, that's that. Not to interrupt you, but like mm-hmm. I feel like that's sort of what she was saying in real life. Was she was saying like, "I'm gonna step away from Harry Potter." She wrote like a series of novels where she's like a, under a pseudo, a different pseudonym mm-hmm. or whatever, and she's like she's done other things that aren't Harry Potter related. But I feel like she, you know, it's like Godfather Three syndrome. Like once she thinks she's out, they pull her back in mm-hmm. with like this like idea to like rewrite her own film series. Which J.K. Rowling is a great uh, novelist, but I don't think she's a good screenwriter. And I yeah. think that's a problem with these movies is that they're written by her. They're not adapted by her or adapted from her. Like Steve Cloves was the guy who did all the Harry Potter. Um, adaptations for the screen for the screen and i think he got like the hang of it like he know he knew how to like compress these 600 page novels into two and a half hours of movie time and she's sort of doing she's not doing that she's not she's still trying to tell a novel's length book on a screen without cutting like all this all this backstory i keep going back to this i I apologize but there's so much backstory and exposition in these movies there's seriously four different scenes where they talk about how these characters relate to each other or like where these characters come from and how grindelwald is setting up like a bigger war there's so much exposition that in a novel would make sense because you need that time to breathe life into this world but on screen you just sort of need to be like Grindelwald's bad. Lita Lestrange is a mysterious character, and she she loves both Newt and Theseus. And uh, Credence Barebone is actually Dumbledore's kid. If they're yeah. gonna do it, just do it. It loses the movie itself. Loses like what is one of the bit and best elements of Harry Potter is that it's the characters and why we care about the characters and why we want to follow and like. Uh, follow these characters for several books or several movies and we were talking about in Fantastic Beasts those characters really came to life and we were really interested and invested in that um that four the foursome the main four but in the Crimes of Grindelwald they are barely together they're barely characters into themselves and it feels like they are just kind of there to service the plot 
which is something that has become like a big problem, I think, with this with the new franchise. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that Newt was the only person who was supposed to show up in the sequels. Mm. That like initially I feel like I heard it wasn't about going... that too. I heard that it's sort of like an Oscar Isaac situation where like in Force Awakens, Oscar Isaac was supposed to die, but they liked him so much that they they brought him back for the finale, and now he's the major player in Last Jedi and Episode Nine. And so I I heard I feel like I heard once Fantastic Beasts was successful, it cr- kind of critically and box office that like everyone was everyone was really praising th- these four as like a great cast. And so I think they wrote they rewrote whatever treatment they had for the, this arc of movies to include Queenie Tina and Jacob Kowalski um, as like Newt's like best friends, but and and love interests. But they don't do a good job of getting everybody in like i think ironically this movie would have worked a little bit better if jacob and queenie weren't in the film yeah no they're very Uh, extraneous and then like they don't really add anything and even though i like seeing the dynamic between jacob and newt it just feels like it's from a different movie yeah and like adding queenie creates one of the biggest movie problems in this entire film which is uh queenie uh, her last name is Goldstein, so like it's turning like, one of the, the a lot few of people... Jewish characters in like the Harry Potter right. universe into and now. And now she joins the bad guys who are who supposed are to be the bad guys at the same time as Twiddler. Twiddler, it's, <gasps> it's like really, it's bad, and they she has bad motivation. Like if they just cut her role, even though she's a she's a great character and a great actress, and they just cut her out and they cut Jacob Kowalski, you wouldn't have that problem. You know, it's like this weird, like catch 22 of well we have a i guess the the solution is write her better yeah but if that's not what they're gonna do just cut her out it's this weird thing yeah and it's not just queenie i mean okay um i don't know if we've already said this but like obviously spoilers for this movie it's been out for a while so like it's fine but just spoilers in case you ever do want to watch it and not know how terrible it is going into it but lita dies so you kill a woman of color the other woman of color in this film is a like snake slave who is Nagini, who becomes Voldemort's literal snake slave, who we never knew was an actual woman. We just thought was a snake. And now she's an Asian woman. So you have that terrible implication. Yep. She didn't need to be in this movie or she didn't need to be a snake. She could have been in the movie. She just didn't need to be a, the snake. Why, like, what went through J.K. Rowling's head to say, hey man, Harry Potter fans know Nagini. What if all along Nagini was actually an Asian woman and I played into these really harmful stereotypes and she works for Wizard Hitler? But how, the thing how is she doesn't... Many really... Harry Potter fans would love that. She's not... She's a, she's not, I don't think she's a, a full-on supporter of Grindelwald. No, she's kind of an independent agent. She just kind of follows Credence yeah. wherever he goes. No, 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 but, no, but not, Credence. I'm not saying Grindelwald. Oh, oh you're Voldemort. talking about yeah, yeah. Voldemort. Oh, I'm saying, like, course. she eventually comes to work for Voldemort, and it's, like... Right. A different wizard but Hitler. It, yeah, like, the second that's wizard the thing, is, like, she doesn't have the motive. She's not evil in this movie. She's trying to help Credence find his true parentage, which is kind of a noble goal. 
Like, you know, like if but he doesn't know who's relegated parents to are, supporting like, role and just kind of but like being 100%. Like, yeah, he's not, like, what doesn't have anything to JK do. Rowling's head in the first place to say, Oh, Nagini, this character that Harry Potter fans have known, I'm gonna make her an Asian woman and I'm gonna have all these terrible implications. Like, they'll yeah. love that. Like, that's and then it really, really what sours one of the best moments of the, the Harry Potter series in like that triumphant defeat of her and beheading by Neville Longbottom. Now we know Neville kills and, an Asian woman yeah. in the Wizarding World. Like, and now we fuck? know he, that he kills a woman who can't help her own like circumstances and is like a helpless victim of her own tragedy. And it just like, why, JK? What are you doing? Do you guys remember when the entire original Harry Potter franchise was about a boy who grew up in an abusive home and the whole point of the franchise was about love and hope overcoming darkness and evil and hate and all these wonderful things? Do you remember that? I do. I wish. My question so, is... Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> you sound so defeated. No, because I have... Go ahead, Anya. J.K. Rowling has gotten a lot of shit since the Harry Potter franchise ended. Some extremely valid, maybe some less so. And it started before even Fantastic Beasts. Like, it started with Pottermore. It started when she thought it would be a good idea as a white woman to write about Native Americans in the United States and how magic exists in the United States and thought, man, this is great. I'm going to just go on, like, Wikipedia and grab some native american tribe names and just make shit up about them um i would go far back to say that her in her revelation of dumbledore is gay was problematic because she didn't do anything in the text to say yeah that that was she said it after the fact and then like it was something that felt like some some reading she was like yeah dumbledore is gay he was gay with grindelwald and everyone was like i mean i guess (laughs) but it's unclear Cause like it's like you could have a best friend in in Evildom and be like p- close to them. Her like she did it so like she casually she wrote them so not romantically that it was like oh I guess um yeah. I guess we'll take your word for it because you're felt just the so tacked on and that's so- the problem with a lot yeah. of her world building now. It all just feels very tacked on, like something that she didn't think through thoroughly and is now kind of being built in this ramshackle way, like um you know, a wall or like a house being built on top of like another house in like this really crooked way or something like that. It just feels like she's doing this um, in like a really, yeah, I keep re- repeating myself, but it's like very haphazard. My, she's trying my to question, work on everything. Yeah. And I think one of the other biggest things is that she has shown time and time again that she has no interest in listening. She has no interest in learning. She has no interest in evolving. She has no interest in apologizing. She, did she ever, like, make a statement when everyone, criti- like, rightly criticized her for the Native American? I don't think so. I think she just ignored it. You know, and she has not addressed any of the problems in Crime of Grindelwald regarding women of color or queer identity. She just identities. gave us the Grindelwald and Dumbledore were fucking intensely. But I don't actually want to talk about it. No. Because, you know, gay men. <laughs> Warner, so like, Warner Brothers probably also didn't want to talk about it. Let's not point the blame just on her. No, no, no. I believe I believe it was probably like a whole studio decision because I think now we're seeing like Rocket Man, the studios, they're like, can we ask this gay shit? Yeah, no, it is it is definitely the studio, but also it's like, why did she say that in the first place? She would never ever say that about a straight couple in her franchise. Like she would never talk about Ron and Hermione that way. 
why is it that the gay characters who, you know, in society are seen as, like, overly sexualized, why do they get this offhanded remark about a sexual relationship? Mm-hmm. And, you know, she never addresses any of this. Like, she has to be aware of these criticisms. You know, the only time she's ever addressed any of this is Johnny Depp's casting. And she did, went on the defense for that and defended their decision. I don't know why. Um and that's the only time she's ever addressed any of these criticisms. And so she has shown herself to be someone who refuses to listen and refuses to actually learn or grow. I mean, and this isn't just Harry Potter. In one of her books written under her like pen name of Robert Galbraith or whatever, um, she is extremely transphobic. Is she? And oh, yes, wow. she has a trans character in one of her books and it is a horrifying scene for this trans character. And if you also, there's also evidence of her like liking transphobic tweets and Ooh. engaging with like TERFs. Ooh. And so like, yeah, she's also extremely transphobic and she has proven herself not to be an ally at all. And I think that's really what it comes down to. It's like JK Rowling has genuinely proven herself like not to be progressive or like good person who can be like oh I've made some mistakes I wasn't aware you know this isn't my identity or my lane but like I'll listen going forward and I'll engage women of color more and trans people more and like listen to them like she doesn't do that no and I'm suddenly realizing like how how serious this is of like my own relationship with JK Rowling and that like these are actually really big things and she has proven time and time again not to be an ally to us and and I'm like at one point you at some point you just have to say okay like then I don't I don't want to support you anymore and like I will forever love Harry Potter deeply but beyond the original series I kind of want to have, I want to have nothing to do with JK Rowling. Mm. I want to ask you guys this, um, with the Harry Potter franchise and how it's continuing forward and like how it's kind of inevitable, inevitable that it would be, um, expanded beyond the initial series anyways. Do you think that this series would have benefited from the death of the author type of, you know, approach, not like literally killing JK Rowling? But if someone else did it, it's in the hands of in the hands of the fans, for example, in the hands of another person. Um, this is actually something that was pointed out to me um, on, when we we're talking about this on Slash Film Daily. And Chris um, Evangelista, who uh, is my coworker there, he said this could have benefited from from something that the Star Wars franchise went through, in which George Lucas handed off the series to other people and you know even though he is you know the mastermind of the series and he's known to be the be and be all end all the omnipresent voice behind that universe once it got landed it came to someone else's hands it only became better case in point Star Wars: the last jedi so i think that like it would it is possible for harry potter universe to continue in the harry potter franchise to expand and we can keep that magic but do you think that you know, because J.K. Rowling is so intimately involved with this series and trying, and because of like her status as that all-powerful author, um, it's is that the problem with 
one of the major problems with the Harry Potter franchise as it is now. Yes. Yes. I can 100% say yes, because I have three examples from 1999, 2002, and 2005 called the Star Wars prequel trilogy. That is, and kind of to a lesser extent, because he didn't, he didn't, uh, he's still adapting something, but the Hobbit trilogy with Peter Jackson doing three more Hobbit films it's clear like these authors these creators go through this magical period where they make the best stuff ever star wars harry potter and lord of the rings the movies can be considered some of the greatest like mature like content like creative endeavors like in modern history and each one of them have gone has gone back to the well and dug up not well water but sludge Mm. um even though i will say that the prequels have their moments. I like the stories that are being told. And like, I, I kind of wanted to talk, talk about this earlier where it's clear that they're trying to tell a different story with Fantastic Beast, sort of like how they're telling a different story with the prequels, but nobody wants that. Um, unfortunately, like I love like this kind of, this is a hot take, unpopular opinion. The politics in the, uh, in the um, prequel trilogy is my shit. I love when they like go talk about the Senate and they do all the, Republic stuff like that's fun I like that and there's like a new Padme book that just came out that's like all about her joining the Senate and I can't wait to read that but so like but everyone always talks about like what's all this politics stuff just do like the blasty blast and like I get that and that's kind of what they did with the sequel trilogy where they kind of went back to basics and they did more of what they were doing with the original trilogy what they're doing with Fantastic Beasts is sort of like that where she's they're not telling the same like uh boy goes to school and uh, has magical adventures with his friends. It's more like man with uh, uh, a knack for animals gets involved with a war that he probably shouldn't be in. And it's definitely a different story. Um, and they're telling it differently. Like they're not doing like magic is wonderful. They're sort of like just like magic is mundane, which is a problem. Like, I think that's what we want, but it's, I think it's clear like that what they're going for is not like, Magic is all around us, mm-hmm. which is so different than what Fantastic Beast is doing, where they're just sort of like they pop in and now they're suddenly in magical Paris. Um, <laughs> yep. Uh, the um, what I was getting back to, the prequels is that we saw the the problem when you have the author have complete control over a product that they're going back to later in their as they've evolved as writers or as evolved as creators, like the Peter Jackson trilogy for lord of the rings is the the, like the best like it it deserves every award it ever received and probably should have received more and then he just sort of dunks on them by doing everything digitally and and doing this 48 frame rate thing and like expanding out uh a children's storybook into like this three you know trying to trying to exceed the length of the original trilogy you know the three film Um, he's trying to do a lot Mm -hmm. yeah yeah. And I, 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 I agree that, like, a Hobbit adaptation is, like, you can do it. Go for it. It's great. Um, but I think the way he went about doing it is not good. The way that George Lucas went about making the prequels, doing everything on a soundstage, was not great. And him being not the best writer of all time and not having someone like Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford 
going back to the to the uh, director and writer George Lucas and saying, "Hey, can we spruce up these lines and make them a little bit more human like?" Mm-hmm. Which is what they both did. They yeah, um, they Carrie both... Fisher became like a very talented script editor after that too, which goes to show how yeah. much work she really did with the Star Wars franchise in the first place. And Harrison Ford would just like say like, "I'm not saying it that way. I'm <laughs> just going to say it my own way." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's dumb. I, I'm saying it. Yeah. And so I have the, the way go 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 for it. Okay. Um, I just want to say that I have, like, two points about this in that, like, first, well, this is a side note, but I would defend Peter Jackson in the Hobbit trilogy only because he was, like, cornered into making those movies, and he did not actually... Yeah, because they were supposed to be Guillermo del Toro at first. I knew that part. Yeah, and that Peter Jackson was, like, pressured into making them. Oh, and well, so, now, like, okay, now my, my point's a little soured, but I think he still could have gone a better way. Oh, he could have gone about it a better way. I agree. They're not good movies. Um, But I will, like, give him a little more leeway only because he wasn't, like, gung-ho that, like, he had to make them and, like, he wanted to make them. Um, I think he was still producing, like, executive producing, but he wasn't going to direct, yeah. was that? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so he wasn't totally devoid of being a No, part. no, of course he not. Gonna, but, like, it's a little bit different yeah. than George Lucas and the prequels and what jk rowling is doing um and i think there are two two very obvious points to jk rowling that show you know the death of the author thing and like why it's a problem and like what you're talking about ht and that like look at the the first thing is look at harry potter and the cursed child Mm -hmm. everyone agrees that on paper just as like a script and a book and a play and a story it is like objectively awful yes the people who see the play love it because the production of it is wonderful and it really makes up for the story problems it really does it is one of the few times in watching a harry potter property recently that it really reminded me of that magic and that awe that it the series inspired me in the first place it's just so phenomenally well done and you really get to see the characters fleshed out as they weren't on the page i think that it benefits from like the actors but also because like this the play itself like reading the play it misses a lot of that characterization and like the rich um language and right and prose that jk rowling is um a, is known for so mm-hmm. just having like straight dialogue really doesn't capture exactly what is so great about harry potter but the play does and it's just like it it's exactly. so phenomenal and you know to the other thing i think is the fact that like jk rowling her like vice like grip on this franchise um and like the stuff of the author thing as we're talking about like is it's so it it really has worsened the franchise and i think about this in a few ways is that one in publishing there are people called sensitivity readers mm. who will read like unpublished works um from the viewpoint of like sensitive topics of like how are queer people depicted how are people of color depicted and you know is there sexual assault in this how is that written you know reading these to kind of you know like it's not there's an argument right now there's a debate about like whether or not this could be censorship but like i don't I think it New is York times piece about it which is really interesting. yeah um which i don't think it is so i think like you can you know write good stories it's not the about, government like, doing it is it no there's not no. a censorship yeah so I mean, like, like well, the, you could also argue that the Hays Code was censorship because, and it wasn't the government doing it; it was self, it was self-imposed censorship for the movies. Yeah, but that, What's but it? that was like oh, puritanical. Was but like the Hays Code was like based on like a puritan ideology. Like sensitivity mm-hmm. readers are like, hey, maybe like don't be transphobic in your writing. Yeah, like that's all sensitivity reading is: is like, hey, maybe like don't hate on this marginalized group of people 
in the way that you write and like just so you know maybe you weren't aware but this language is problematic and here's why and like maybe you can change it to this word like that's all sensitivity reading is Mm -hmm. and it's clear that jk rowling does not employ that and i also like think about like the power and privilege she has and like what if she had reached out to native american writers and said hey i want to explore magic in the united states and you know how it could have looked like for native americans do you want to write some pieces for Pardamore on this and we can collaborate. So she would have been like uplifting the voices of people of color and having someone come from an authentic place Mm -hmm. and, you know, like letting this world actually expand in an authentic and genuine and like not offensive way. Um, You know, I look at someone like Rick Riordan who has this series now called Rick Riordan Presents because he has gained, you know, fame and power. And so like, he basically um, is publishing like lesser known authors mm. like under his like Rick Riordan presents banner. And so like it has the seal of Rick Riordan. So people will be like, oh, Rick Riordan, like I know him, but it's written by like women of color and like it's their stories that they're telling. And he's just using his power to uplift them and give them a platform. And J.K. Rowling doesn't do that at all, mm-hmm. ever. Yeah. Because she doesn't actually care. And then, like, whatever whatever tiny little elements of diversity and progressivism we do get feel like pandering in some way. And it's always kind of just done in a very casual and offhand manner. Or, like, like told after the fact. Or told after the fact. Like Grindelwald and Dumbledore fucking. Or, like, Dumbledore being gay. Or Hermione could possibly be black. Who knows? Maybe. I don't know. That's kind of, like what she does yeah Yeah. the whole like every time there's a Dumbledore Grindelwald story she just has to come back after it's been published and go by the way they were massively in love and then like everyone's like but you didn't show it like you told it not showed it like you gotta show and not tell like if they had if they had explored that in like explicitly in uh Deathly Hallows I feel like that would have been like a game changer in terms of young adult like novels because yeah. everyone would be like whoa like the the fact that they uh they basically just say like they were close friends and they they love doing evil shit together like that's not the same as they were in love and they were like blinded by Dumbledore was blinded by love to like commit these acts of heinous crimes for Grindelwald and now it's was like oh, well who knows like was he because when we learn about Dumbledore in the original series, we learned that the whole reason he was like attracted to Grindelwald and they became friends in the first place is that Dumbledore also shared the opinions that magical people were superior to muggles. He like that's true drew too. the line at like wanting to commit genocide, but like that's the whole point of like learning about Dumbledore is that like you know your heroes may not always live up to your standards. Yeah, and like, Dumbledore also had really problematic viewpoints. Mm-hmm. which is a really interesting thing to explore in the original series and then jk rowling has ruined all of it yes yeah because dumbledore in the crimes of grindelwald is like proto dumbledore like he's still like he's a great teacher and he's like doing fun stuff with students and he's got a beard and he's jude law doing a michael gambit impression um (laughs) jude law is so sexy it's not a bad impression. Like he's got like a, a twinge of the Irish that like Michael Gambon has, so it's like fun. 
but like he's still like he's, he's just mysterious Dumbledore Ooh, but he's in a can suit you, instead of a cloak yeah can you imagine if it was Jude Law and Colin Farrell playing against each other and like the tension and the the good acting and it wouldn't like it wouldn't have you know it obviously wouldn't have changed all the other problematic elements of this film but like at the very least that would have had two actors actually like doing a great job and that, that's sometimes well, one of the, the best is- parts of the harry potter movies too like the harry in harry potter the prisoner of azkaban just they just put um david thewlis alan rickman and gary oldman in a room together and they're like have at it and we got yeah, one of the best like, scenes oh, in all of harry potter timothy's fall. Timothy's fall was pretty good oh and timothy's As- fall too sorry they were just acting they're like step back kids we're yeah. gonna chew this scenery to bits Oh, they, they, to borrow a phrase from my fa- new favorite podcast, uh, Blank Check, they swim in the river of ham. They just, <laughs> amazing. they are so, they are take they are eating those ham sandwiches. Amazing. God, it's so great. I just, I think about that scene sometimes and I'm like, we were blessed. Such a good <laughs> so scene. Just, that's, I, I think that's the thing is that we have so many great memories about Harry Potter from our childhood that it's hard to divorce ourselves from, from the nostalgia but also, like, there, it's a genuinely great series, and the movies are great, great too. Mm-hmm. And so, you, you, you know, it's hard for us to say, like, well, we're just gonna pick and choose which ones we want to like, because it's, you know, it. But I also don't think it's just you uh, take it all or take, you know, uh, all or nothing. Like, I feel like we can say, I like the movies and I like these books, but I'm not gonna, um, you know pay legal tender to go see these movies in the theaters because of the actions and the words and the lack of regret that jk rowling has apparently expressed in like with writing about people of color uh trans people like all these like the the way that she's just gone about trying to evolve the story and make it more inclusive in terms of representation, she's just done it in the worst way. And the thing is, I don't. If I had not known about the Pottermore Native American controversy in terms of like she was writing about uh, Native American stuff, like magic and like uh, background for Pottermore for the first Fantastic Beasts, I don't believe any of that shows up in the movie. Nope. Correct me if I'm wrong. It does not. Like I think the Thunderbird might be the most. Like in terms of like mystical, cre- mythical creatures, like in, in terms yeah, of like where much. the Thunderbird comes from. Yeah, like, I don't remember it's it. All being, unnecessary. Like, I mean, like, <sighs> which is not, not to say she can't do it, but like she, like Anya was saying, like do it in the right way, like get other people to write these stories mm-hmm. as flavor text for a larger picture. That maybe, yeah, like, not, like there's so much stuff in Star Wars that is not in the movies. That is in the video games. That is are, that are in books. Like, there's so much stuff about everything. That is, but it's here's that's the other thing. It's all written by other people. Like the the Star Wars Legends, which is the the everything that isn't in the movies that has now been quote non non canonical since J.J. Abrams took over making these films. There's 30 years, 30, 40 years of books that were written by other people. They were, quote, approved by, unquote, George Lucas. Like, he would sort of look at the story treatment or whatever and be like, cool, like, this fits. But there was, but, and then, like, but then he would not be the one writing it. It would be, like, Timothy Zahn writing uh, Thrawn and, like, all these different authors coming in, put it, leaving their stamp on this universe, making the universe better, 
Thrawn is a character from the Star Wars books that has now jumped to the actual canon TV shows and his own new series of books, still written by the same author, Timothy Zahn, from the 80s and 90s. But he he was but Thrawn is one of the most beloved characters that has never shown up in the movies. And it's because like their Star Wars and Lucasfilm employed all these authors to come in and make their own mark in this universe that JK Rowling has not let people do. Like uh I guess Cursed Child was a story by her and she mm-hmm. didn't write it. Um but like but it's still, still like a story by her. It's not like you know the 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 um I don't know. It's hard to pick out a book right now, but like the Obi-Wan Kenobi book that came out in 2013 about Kenobi uh, living on Tatooine was not like a story by George Lucas, like, and then written by, um, I forget the author's name, Um, but it wasn't like anything to do with George Lucas. He probably looked at it once and said, that's fine. His name is Obi-Wan Kenobi. Do with what what you want. Like he, I mean, at that point he was sort of checked out from Star Wars. Let's be real. But, um, the whole like death of the author comes into play because there's only so much one person can write and it still be in this universe and still be like like True I guess the spirit I mean, of whatever the, the, they initially the like, created. I'm going through the Percy Jackson novels right now and he's written he's 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 written so many novels but like they still all feel great the ones that I've read, like, I haven't finished it, but, like, um, Anya loves this series. Like, Anya, can you, like, just without spoiling anything, just say, like, like the Rick Riordan books, like, that he wrote, like, do you ever feel like he ever, like, like, I don't know, checks out? No, no, he cares so much. Um, and the great thing about Rick Riordan is that his books are extremely diverse, but none of the characters feel like tokens. Like, none of it feels like tokenism. Like, characters happen to be characters of color or happen to be queer characters or like gender queer characters and that is part of their identity but they are fully fleshed characters outside of that and you know it's not like it's not important to their identity it is but it's not the only thing identifying them and he just he writes his series as it reflects in the world and he treats all of them like full human beings and you know they're not like a Cho Chang who gets Asian names wrong and is not great. She has two last names. It's two last names. Like J.K. Rowling, that was a cursory Google search. J.K. Rowling, at the very least. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I have three last names. But, you know, <laughs> okay, but that's just like, like that's still bad. White people generational stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah my my full name is Willoughby Barrett Dobbs the fourth, so, <laughs> but yeah like no that's not it's not good especially because she probably wasn't like this has been a long line of shows like no it's probably like she was like well I need a name that sounds fun like come on J K I'm gonna think of the most stereotypical Asian name that I can think of and then like not check how like Asian it's names like, actually work and it's a couple syllables off of a racist slur and uh huh. <laughs> It's yep. not great. Yeah. Um, not great and enough. so, yeah. It's like she doesn't get brownie points just because she says, like, if you imagine Hermione is black, that's great. Yeah. Like, you don't. No. That doesn't, that doesn't take away from all the other stuff you've done and how, like, the fact that you don't actually care about, like, 
representing black people in your stories. Mm-hmm. So, so like, we've yeah, seen from so like Rick Riordan, like it's you can do it, and George Lucas can step away. Like, like these it's possible like creators can leave. They can say, I I've done my business. Like, take the check. Here's here you go. Like, it's all it's up to you now, David Yates and Steve Cloves. Like. It's. I don't think that she needs to be a part of everything. Like she can still be like an executive producer. She can still get that check. But like, I don't think creatively she should be like full in on these movies and everything. Like, I don't know. It's it's sad to see this happen because like we love the series so much and it's part of us as people. Like, you know, I feel like it, that's never gonna go away. But also like her J.K. Rowling being like. I don't know, in charge of things probably isn't for the best. I don't know. Like, yeah. it, it well, just seems like, like it's not great. Yeah, like I've always said, like, I love Harry Potter and I always will. And it's important to me. But Harry Potter has outgrown J.K. Rowling. And I no longer need her if she's going to be a creator like this to love Harry Potter and to engage with the original franchise and the world building in my own head and you know, the other world building of other fans and stuff. And so like, I love Harry Potter separate from JK Rowling now. Mm. It's not hers anymore. Um, It's bigger than her. And I don't need her anymore. And I can love Harry Potter. But I kind of stop at the original series because everything else she's created is like tainted. And again, shows she doesn't really care. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's not content I want to engage with. And so I love Harry Potter and it stands on its own. And that's kind of where I am with the franchise. I think that's a great way to wrap up our discussion about the Harry Potter franchise and the wizarding world and where we wanted to go from here. So um, let us move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. Hey, Willoughby, why don't you start us off this week? What do you really like? Um, I'm only three episodes in, but I really like Schitt's Creek, um, which is the Canadian television show created by Eugene and Dan Levy. Um, Basically, uh, the series is like, what if like a Kardashian type family lost everything that they owned in like a shady business deal that their manager did and they have to move to a town in Canada or it's not explicitly stated, but I think later on it's explicitly stated, like basically like a podunk town in Canada and all they, they own the town as a joke, um, like from like years ago. And so like, that's their only asset is the town. So they live in this motel inside the town. And so it's like these rich people who are like, ew, normies. Um, and I'm only three episodes in, but it's very funny. It's like, it's like, it's very, it's very good humor. Um, Catherine O'Hara plays the mom. Um, Eugene Levy plays the dad. I think Dan Levy plays the son. I don't remember what the daughter's, uh, the actress name is. I should have looked it up beforehand. But they're all um, uh, very funny people, very funny actors, and the characters are, are really good. Um, it's sort of like Succession, I guess, Anya, in terms of like loving watching rich people sort of like stew in their own filth. It kind of reminds um, me of Arrested Development, just from like based on what you're describing. Yeah, too. I'm, yeah I'm also it's got watching that. season one Willoughby, so I oh, am cool. with you and watching it. Um, I'm a couple, few episodes uh, past you, but sure. No, I know, and it, it. I agree, it's totally great. 
it's very funny. It's like, I don't know, it's just sort of like rich people, like in, in an exaggerated version of rich people living in like what is clearly not a rich town um, and trying to deal with that and like trying to fix it up to sell the town um, because they're like, we need to get our money back because I guess like the whole first three minutes of the series is like them being booted out of their rich mansion and having to move into Chits Creek. Um, so I don't know. It's very good. Uh, yeah. All right. Anya, I kind of get the feeling that our really likes will be the same. Um, it's not. Okay. Well, what's your really like for this week then? Um, although I know what yours is going to be and like, I am also really liking that, but something a little bigger happened to me this week so i want to discuss that um this week is paley fest mm. which is where the paley center for media puts on panels uh, about tv shows here in la um you know they have cast and creators and it's basically just like a week long or two week long festival of just tv panels talking about shows and you know um and so this week i went to my very first panel and it was the 10th anniversary of parks and recreation I'm oh sorry, it's God. what? Uh-huh. It's been one decade? It has. Time to the flat circle. I gotta, I gotta go. I gotta go. I gotta go uh, Go live off the grid because apparently time is moving way too fast and I can't believe that. Uh-huh. I mean, this show started while we were still in high school. No, you don't get to say that. Please don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> so anyway, other than the existential nature of time, um, I went to the panel and it was so great. I mean, Parks and Rec is my favorite show of all time um, and it means a lot to me. So as soon as I saw this panel was happening, I knew I had to get tickets. Um, and the whole main cast was there and Mike Schur and it was narr- it was uh, moderated by Patton Oswalt. Although Purred Happily... Oh, great. Heard Happily was the one who introduced the panel. Yes. And he was like, hello, I'm here to tell you that an event is happening. The <laughs> event is now. It is here. And it is happening. And it was, like, so great. The audience was full of energy. And, you know, you can just feel how much love people have for the show. Um, Amy Poehler cried. Oh. And then I cried. Oh. And Mike Sure talked about, you know, the goodness of the show and they talked about Mike sure talked about how like the uh, Ben and Leslie are like wonderful but like from the beginning the the main love story of the show was Anne and Leslie and it was just so wonderful and I'm just so grateful for the show and that I got to have this night and this experience and you know get to share my love for the show in such a way um and it was also just really funny and the cast has so much love for each other and so I just really love the show and I'm really liking that the show existed at all and that we have it and that it is still remembered and talked about so much. Um, and I will just leave you with one memory from the panel when Aziz Ansari was talking about the recent college admission scandal. And he said that when he first saw the headline for that, he just thought to himself, man, this is some Eagleton shit. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Oh, I love it. So yeah, that's what I'm liking. All right. Yay! Yay! I'm so happy that you got to see them. That's so cool. And I'm I just wanna like I'm going to a second panel today that is a combo panel of Star Trek Discovery and <clears throat> a sneak peek at the new Twilight Zone series, Jordan <gasps> Peel. 
Oh my god, are you kidding me? No! I'm going to see that in a couple hours. That's I'm very excited. Fantastic. So, speaking of Jordan Peele, what's your really like, HT? Yeah, speaking of Jordan Peele, my really like is Us, Jordan Peele's Aww. second film, his latest film following... Not Us, Willoughby. <laughs> oh, Oh, no. No, not I mean, I love us too. He doesn't really like us. <laughs> I love us too, but I'm mostly. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I right now really like us, um, the, the horror film directed by Jordan Peele, starring Lupita Nyong'o, Winston Duke, Elizabeth Moss, and it is oh, wow, what a weird, phenomenal studio horror film that definitely I'm just like so grateful that a studio has released this film and it's something that's so audacious and out of and really bold um so it follows the this family uh led by Lupita Nyong'o and Winston Duke who go to a their summer home for vacation and while they're there they are um encounter they're they're attacked by their own doppelgangers which leads to um quite a few twists and turns and some bloody bloody moments but it i honestly i am having trouble wording exactly what this is how i feel about this film because it is just so layered and challenging and different than a lot of horror films that i've seen and a lot of films that i've seen in general it is just layered with all of these different ideas and complexities that I'm still trying to unpack. And I just, I love that the film allows that and that it allows for so many different interpretations. I, after I got out, immediately was like, I'm so excited to, to read what other people have to say about this and what people have like taken from this film because I feel like it's something that is ripe for just so many different interpretations. And while Anya and I were talking about this before the podcast, while it can be enjoyed as like a straight up horror film and it's such a good film and the way it builds that dread and anxiety and like while being like a very bloody and gory slasher film at that, it is just, um, it's a film that has, is uh, jam-packed with a lot of social commentary that um, I think that, I think I'm getting. I think I'm, I'm don't, definitely don't have all of it, but I want to go see it again. I, I think this is a film that definitely warrants a second viewing because it's just, it's so, so layered, guys. And I'm, I'm so happy that Jordan Peele is just doing his thing and has basically a, a blank check to, to uh, just be as weird and creative and visionary as he is. But yeah, us, it's, Excellent. And Lupita Nyong'o deserves five Oscars for this film. Well, that is our episode for the week. If you guys have any thoughts about the Harry Potter franchise or anything that we are liking this week, including the movie Us, or looking back on some of your favorite shows like Parks and Recreation, or watching recently announced ending shows like Schitt's Creek, although they are still worth the watch, uh, come chat with us. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is Millennial Falcon WordPress. No, excuse me. It's Millennial Podcast. And you can listen, rate, review, and subscribe to us on 
iTunes, and Google Play, and SoundCloud. And where can I find you guys on the internet? You can find me at htranbui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye.